morning, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about color correction and color grading. I have my buddy, Dave Andrade, color correction aficionado grading expert. Hey, welcome to the stream, Dave. Good, Hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Dave, I ran into him. I don't know. We somehow connected on YouTube. I wanted to interview you a while back. That's right. Ended up meeting up at NAB and we just had a blast. Well, I had a blast. I think Dave was like, I did. Yes. <laughs> Why is this guy following me around? We met up and we've been good friends. At least I think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that makes two of us. Dave is just, you know, he does Da Vinci. He also does Premiere. He does color grading. He does color correction. And he does regular videos and reviews on his channel. I'm curious, like, how did you get, like, did you just wake up one morning and say, I think I'll do color correction and color grading? How'd you get there, man? <laughs> yes, it came in a dream. And then I woke up and I <laughs> The rest is history. No, uh, like back in like 2010, 2011, you had like the old Film Riot episodes and things like that. So I was watching a lot of those. And so I was starting to get into that. At that time, I got into a lot of filmmaking kind of things. And then I noticed that you really can manipulate how your footage looks with the color. So I just dove deep. I started jumping into forums and doing a lot of research, playing with all the settings. So that's the 22nd version of how I got into it. That's basically what it came down to. And then once I started getting into it, just went full steam ahead. Stupid question time. It, was it from like, like, did you go, okay, I want to color grade or whatever my videos? Or was it like, oh, I'm doing short films and weddings and stuff like that. And this stuff needs to pop. The second one, pretty much. Because I, I bought my first DSLR and I, uh, camera and then I started shooting some footage messing around with it. And like I said, I started to piece it all together. And then once I did that, I was like, oh, this really, like you said, it makes it pop. It changes the whole aesthetic of how the uh, footage looks. And then down the road, I started getting into shooting some weddings and things like that, bar mitzvahs, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it just totally transformed the footage. So I really got infatuated with uh, that portion of the uh, filmmaking process. That's great, man. I don't know who's here. I don't know if there's like experts and they're ready to jump all over us in case we say something wrong. Describe for the audience the difference between color correction and color grading because in its simplest form, and I know this isn't true, color correction, clip by clip, color grading, you run it across everything. Can you explain the differences to the people who are watching? One is more of bringing your footage to the point where you want to color grade. So it's like before you're baking the cake, you're kind of putting everything together and then you bake the cake. So with color correction, it has to do with neutralizing the footage. If it's flat uh, log, you bring it to rec 709. And then if the white balance is off, you bring it there. And it's also comparing two clips. So if you have two different cameras and you try to match them up together, that's part of the color correction process. You kind of want to lay a nice base before you get to the grading. The grading is mostly aesthetic. Like we were saying before, it's mostly making the footage pop or setting a mood, essentially. So color correction is it needs to be brighter or darker. These don't look so good. The reds or the colors are a bit dull, adding mm -hmm. more saturation. Color grading is I want my entire video to have a certain look like the teal and orange thing. 
Is that too simplistic? Um, not necessarily, although you can do part of what you mentioned before in the color grading process. So like you said, as far as making some adjustments on something specific, you can do that in the correction process. But let's say if I was grading this video and I wanted my face to be the prominent part of the scene, I can make a window here, make my face brighter and make the back darker. So that's still part of the grading process. That'd be like secondary corrections. But yeah, that's pretty much what it is, what you outline. You can still do specific corrections in the grading process which is a lot of what I do, actually. Let's say I I select the skin colors and I decide mm -hmm. to saturate them a bit or change them. Am I color correcting or am I color grading? Or maybe it's a gray area. <laughs> That's a pun. Technically, it's grading because you're not setting the footage up. I mean, I guess you might be right. It would be partially both because essentially you're just adjusting the saturation but you're doing something to the footage you're not bringing it to a point that you can address the color grading process so it would technically be color grading but gray area like you said yeah which is funny when talking about color correction <laughs> right <laughs> here's an interesting question what color adds what emotion a really loaded question uh all of them really <laughs> <laughs> That's a quick answer. Yeah, you have the typical ones, of course, right? With the blue, kind of more of a sad thing. And then more bright, you get the yellows and the oranges and stuff like that. But it's not a hard, fast rule. Technically, you can uh, you can use whatever color you want. To be fair, if you're doing like a horror movie, you don't want bright, like yellow or orange. So that th there is some barriers you have to be in. Yeah, for the most part, it's pretty open. I think the question is, now I'm putting words into other people's mouth. I think the question is, what color evokes what emotion? Correct me if I'm wrong, you're the expert. To say that red denotes terror or horror is not necessarily true, correct? Correct. To me, if I was doing something like horror, I would more be, I would do something more in the desaturated. So it wouldn't necessarily be a color. It'd be more taking the vibrancy out of it and then adjusting, maybe like I said before, with the windows where you're making everything dark, bring someone's attention to a particular uh, creature or subject or whatever you want it to do. What What do you mean by windows? Well, the same. it's usually the same with uh, all programs. So DaVinci and Premiere Pro and all that. It's just you select a certain part of the footage and mm -hmm. any adjustments that you make will only happen within that window. I'm like masks, I think, in Premiere Pro. Hey, it's time for a commercial. Not really a commercial. I just wanted to show this. This course, which is on sale now, which is going to be done soon because I pre-released it, a whopping $39. What happened was as I was going through this course, it's almost done. I got a few more lectures to do to wrap it up on the HL secondaries. I knew about this, but I was going in in this lecture and instead of masking and masking and tracking and everything else, I went through and I show an example where I uh, eyedropper, this chair piece, another example where I eyedropper someone's eyes to select the colors and adjust them in, and eyedropper my face. And what blew me away was that I would then color correct it or change my face black and white or change the background black and white. Because the colors of my skin aren't changing, it effectively creates a mask and tracks what I'm doing. So if I turned, if I had this and I properly eyedroppered this red, assuming there isn't the same red around, and I turn it to green. When I move it around, I've turned this color to green. Same with blue eyes and everything else. My mind was blown, dude. Like, mm. my mind was totally freaking blown because you're in effect selecting the color, adjusting the color, and creating a tracking mass without having to do all the work. Yeah. And HL cell, it stands for hue, saturation. 
and lightness. Same in Da Vinci, you have those. Yep, hue, saturation, and yeah, lightness, luminance, either. I mean, it controls the brightness, basically. Someone's asking about my cup. I made a cup here that says, now what? Make more videos, make more videos, make more videos. It's a test. The green is off. These need to be white letters. That's my cup. So don't buy the cup. <laughs> Luca, what to keep in mind with Technicolor inspired grades? That is a good question. Um, I'd probably be better off pointing you to there. There's a few actually um, I've seen online. It would be better to show than to kind of explain. So I can probably get back to you about that, Luca. New video. Yeah. Yep. So keep an eye out for that. Yay. <laughs> From Robert, if you're grading for internet viewing, isn't everyone's display going to be different? Uh, yes, but it's not anything you have any control over. If yours looks fine, it is what it is, unfortunately. You just have to let the chips fall where they may. Because if yours is off, that's the primary thing. If yours is off, someone else's monitor, monitor could be really pushed, and then your yellows will be really saturated on theirs. So yeah, it will look different on everybody's monitor, but as long as yours looks fine, it is what it is. In the course, I cover this. Remember, this is a basic course. If you want to be a color grading correction specialist, don't take the course unless you want the basics and a jump off point, which my friend is my vector scope. Because whether I'm on that or that or that, the vector scope is going to show me where my reds are, where my greens are, where my face colors are where my magentas are. And even if my monitor was black and white, because the vector scope, little round thing with little color things, because the vector scope is sitting up there, that monitor could be in black and white, but the vector scope is looking at the video, not your monitor. So right. no matter what environment you're in. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. If, if you don't have a color calibrator or, you know, if you don't want to purchase one, that's your source of truth is, is the um, scopes. So as long, as long as it looks good on the scopes, like you said, skin tone line, things like that, then you just need to trust the scopes over anything else. I wasn't going to go into this, but I do have this question. I have this awesome monitor and I have this awesome laptop. And for me, I would like to make sure this is not only correct for my eyeballs, but I want to make sure like a vector, like if I could put a vector scope on my monitor mm -hmm. and a vector scope on this monitor and be able to adjust them, I'd be down with that. How do you do that as far as adjusting the physical monitors to be color correct? It, the software does a lot. If you do the color calibration tools, it does a lot. Laptops are tough because they don't have a lot of settings that you can adjust. You can still make adjustments with as far as the uh, tint and everything like that. And it also depends on what kind of graphics card is in there. If there's like an NVIDIA card or something like in there, that will help. But again, it differentiates from laptop to laptop, really. Well, you talked about calibration tools for the monitor. I've never used one. What's that all about? It runs through USB and then it sends a light on the screen. So it changes your screen to a particular color. There's a sensor on this on the screen. It will shoot the light into that sensor and it will de determine how far off the brightness is, how far off the hue is, like the different colors and things like that. It will do a lot of the background process for you, but will also just suggest that you change some of the settings on your screen. That's why I said what I said before about laptops that you're limited with how much you can adjust. With some of the monitors, you can adjust um, like the Kelvin values, but it's it's tough on laptops. I think it was you, or maybe, maybe you were talking about the BenQ or something. And there's this thingamabob, stick it on this monitor and stick it on this monitor. And you attach it to your monitor and there's software with the device that creates a profile and says, there you go. Yep. 
Yep. Once it's done with the process, it creates a profile for you. And, and I have a Windows machine and you'll see it where if you go into display, it will show which profile it's using to display the monitor. But yeah, yep. once it makes its adjustments, it saves the setting for you. And then you go ahead and just load on to your, uh, to your screen. And you, and, you, and you can do that with the laptops. You can do that with any screen, really. Because I went out and looked at these and I was like, there was stuff for like $50 and there was stuff for like $2,000. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Is there any particular device that you've used and you've gone, that works? The uh, I just noticed Tom's uh, Tom Buck's comment there. It's Spider X Pro. That's a that's a really good one. I highly recommend that one. And that one I don't think is that expensive. Maybe around a hundred dollars or so. I forget to be honest. This thing. Yep. Yep. Actually, that's the one I have too. Yep. It's really really good. Highly recommended. And so you basically stick this USB into your computer, I assume. Slap this on top of your monitor, and it has software that says, "Gotcha. Cool." So we're going to color calibrate this monitor. Then I would stick it over on this monitor and it goes, cool, got that too. And it basically corrects the physical hardware to what should be correct, right? As much as it can. Um, That's when it goes into making suggestions for you as far as adjusting the brightness and everything like that. But yeah, it does some of the background work for you. 169 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth it, though, as far as um, some of the cheaper ones. I mean, they still function, but this is a known name in the color calibration. I would recommend Data Color. Oh, wait, I've always wanted to do this. I don't care if you use this. Affiliate link below. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, cool. Interesting. Jake Sloan. Jake's going to be, I think it's next week. Uh-oh. Next week. Next week, we're going to talk about drones, and he's the man. I'd love to hear Post-Color Gear thoughts on corrective technical LUTs, and I'd also love to hear rant about <laughs> orange and teal LUTs everybody sells. For those that are watching, LUTs stand for look up table. If I take my camera and I shoot something, and then I want to nail the exact colors in that camera, you apply a LUT to it, and it says, oh, that red should look like this. That white should look like this. It looks into a little table, and it applies that to your footage in its basics. You can also do things like, oh, I want a teal and orange <laughs> LUT grade, and it'll apply that. So your thoughts, Dave, on corrective technical LUTs. They serve a purpose it depends on what you're doing if you're shooting something in log and the company provides like a a technical lot where it brings something let's say you're shooting a sony and and that's s log so bringing it from s log to rec 709 where it looks kind of like we're looking right now on the stream nice and contrasty and stuff like that they serve a purpose the problem is if you're going to do a lot of grading because what happens with the luts is it puts it in a box if that makes sense. And then if you wanted to extend it a little more as far as um, luminance and, and, and everything like that, you are a little bit limited. There is a uh, video on my channel where if you're going to apply one of those technical LUTs in DaVinci Resolve, you want to put a node before because this way you can expand it. I hope I'm not going off the rails there, but you uh, Go for it. <laughs> you can expand it before the LUT because again, once the LUT gets applied, it kind of puts it in a box and that's all you're really getting. So they serve a purpose. I recommend it, but if you're going to be doing a lot of stuff after the fact, yeah, I don't know that that's the best. I know DaVinci Resolve has um, the Resolve color management. It essentially does the same thing, but it doesn't put everything in that box. It doesn't compress everything. I say orange and teal LUTs that everybody sells. I think personally, to answer Jake Sloan's question, I think personally, you should buy 10 of them or your videos are going to suck. What do you think, Dave? <laughs> I think I'm going to create one and you should buy 10 of them. 
That'll be out next week. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. I'd like to talk about, thanks for the question, Jake, about, this is a big question. The meaning of life? 42? Yeah. <laughs> you have a YouTube video, and maybe you're going to do some color correction. You have a wedding video. I think you would certainly do some sort of color correction, short mm-hmm. film, whatever. And I know you're good at this. What's your general take on how long do these take? I don't know if there's an answer to that. I'm just curious. As far as the um, color part of the process, Mm -hmm. they all take, I was going to say they all take roughly the same amount of time. I would say a lot of that has to do with uh, editing. Uh, YouTube videos are obviously a lot easier than wedding videos because sometimes you're shooting with two different cameras. And then, I mean, not that you can't do that with a YouTube video, but there's a lot more to it. It depends. It really depends. I've gotten used to what I want to do, so it doesn't take me that long. Maybe like uh, like two hours. Well, again, it depends on the video. I was going to say like two hours, but sometimes not even. I know what I want to do. I know where all the controls are within the program. So it's just like boop, 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 get everything in there and get it done. With the um, wedding videos, for example, the correction process, especially if you're shooting with two different brands, like Sony and Canon, you want to bring those together. So correcting the footage, getting it to that ba- uh, base layer, like I mentioned before, that's the most time-consuming part. As far as the creative grade, like the orange and teal and things like that, that's that's the easier part. <laughs> I think orange and teal definitely has its place. It's popular for a reason, because the skin, col- skin to- uh, colors are orange, and then you bounce it off. Some of the ones online are a little heavy-handed. That That's a lot of saturation and the way you create uh, LUTs is you have to do it off a of color balanced footage. So if they're trying to create a LUT off of footage that's not already neutral, then it's going to be pushed a little bit. Even if you apply it to your footage and that's neutral, it's going to look off. So there's a couple good ones out there, but yeah. Question from me. Spinny ball, spinny ball, spinny ball. <laughs> <laughs> He's okay, so- everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, you have LUTs that are more for color grading, mm-hmm. but then you have LUTs that are for, as you said, LUTs zero the footage. In other words, if I'm shooting in log, if you've seen color grading videos before log and all these different settings that you can put in your camera, they help you to shoot what looks like raw, where you do shoot raw, like S-log looks really great. You're like, what the hell? And you bring it in, you're able to take that S-log LUT and say, give it to me. And it goes, okay, here's your colors. That is what you're talking about when you're setting a baseline with LUTs, as mm-hmm. opposed to a color grade when you go, hey, I just bought 10 of Dave's exactly. orange and teal LUTs, and I want that look. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It won the technical LUTs, like... Um what do you say, uh, Jake? Yeah, corrective technical lots. Yep, <clears throat> is essentially what you were saying. Which it looks great. The lock footage looks great. Really desaturated things like that. You have those, and then you do have the additional one where it adjusts mostly your color. That's not all lots are. They can adjust the um, luminance too. So you have that option in there too. Here's a great question for Captain Jack. What if you're colorblind? Can you still create good color grading? Yep. As far as the um, scopes, your scopes are your source of truth. So as long as you get everything where you want it to be, and as long as you know. What what color represents what? Because I know, well, as far as I understand, what color blindness is certain things that blend, I guess. I'm not describing that well, but as long as you know what you're working with. Additionally, the complementary colors, like the orange and teal that we mentioned before, on these scopes, on the vector scope, they're opposite of one another. So as long as you can bring some of the colors where they're doing something like that, where they're opposite one another, that is really a good aesthetic. Um, I use that a lot too. Hmm. But what I mentioned before about maybe putting something on your face, like a mask, and making it brighter and the background darker, you can do the same thing with color 
colors. That's why I kind of have blue behind me because the blue contrasts with my face. I mean, technically, mm. I could have made that teal, but still, it's that color contrast which makes me kind of pop. So, well, same thing with you, really. It makes you pop out of the, uh, the scene. Yeah. Again, on the HSL secondaries, I added a quick, you get lucky video. It's just really short like 30 seconds. I went through and was shooting myself. I went in there. I picked blue, took all the blue out, left me in, and it played. And I was like, that's really cool. (laughs) But I guess on the colorblind thing, be the same with the monitors. Am I correct? Where even if I'm colorblind, if I'm using that vector scope, I can still see if the colors are correct, right? Yep, yep. It shouldn't have that much of an impact, technically. It shouldn't matter that much. Tom Buck, I used the Spider-X Pro on my monitor. It took about two hours to get dialed in, but it changed everything. I love it. Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. I'm going to have to get one. I don't even know if my monitors are off, but I sure am thinking about it all the time. <laughs> It, it, it's good because it really is just a one-time investment. And the software prompts you to uh, to do it again every couple months because your monitors will drift over time. It really is just a one-time investment. I know they're, like you showed, it was like a hundred and something dollars, but mm-hmm. definitely highly recommend. Use Kevin's affiliate link. Affiliate link below. <laughs> um, here's an interesting thing. For adjusting a monitor, you can get a LUT that is used to correct the signal going to the monitor. For the most part, right. Then the, the, mo- the monitor to my right is a BenQ one, and that actually has like a LUT built into it. So it's that's kind of, it's, it might be a little difficult to describe at, in this environment. <laughs> that- but essentially, he, he has a point there. Essentially, that's what it does. I mean, it really creates a profile for a lot of the monitors, but LUTs are involved in the process. Oh, I see. It's just like a LUT, a lookup table where you're adjusting this and then it goes into your system and says, hey, I'm just going to map the correct things over here to the correct things for this monitor and the correct things for this monitor. That would be the third one too, because that's that's one that a lot of people don't talk about. You do have the technical and the creative LUTs, but there are monitor LUTs too. So he, I'm glad he brought that up. So yeah, there is a third option in there. Like I have, you know, these five inch, seven inch monitors from i forget who makes them andy sin i love saying mm-hmm. that people are like no it's andy sinny <laughs> um they have like sd cards on them where you can load a lot into the monitor so you can see the correct colors and adjust the colors isn't orange and teal just a fad i think so to a certain extent as far as lots are concerned maybe i know a couple of years back especially with osiris uh, there was a company that put out a bunch of lots everybody was using that lot so to a point but like i said before it the color comparison makes sense for, because of skin tones. So as far as LUTs, yes, it is. It is a uh, Well, it was primarily a fad. I don't see many people doing it as much anymore. Like Hollywood, it's popular with people that look. I'd use it. Teal and orange. People like it. <laughs> I'll use it. Apparently for Michael Finn, orange is a fruit to eat and teal is a beautiful bird. He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Jake Sloan, complimentary contrasting colors is one of my favorite things to play with when using lighting in the background yeah that and that's the word i was looking for i had a problem with a little while ago complementary uh colors right yeah i thought you had a problem with the word lighting <laughs> no no <laughs> not yet give me time I'll, i'm sure i'll lose that too um no with his comment there regarding um using lighting in the background even i mean something like like this too and i mean i was just thinking i use that a lot with my do photos and stuff like that as far as a contrast mm-hmm. exposed for the background light the foreground so yeah but yeah I, complimentary colors kind of like i was saying before the blue and the red you don't need to buy some 800 dollars rgb light to light your backgrounds oh wait yeah. you need to buy an 800 dollars rgb light 
affiliate link below. below. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Robinson, you have to prep most grades to accept a LUT for grade like teal and orange. If your background is not neutral, the LUT won't get what you expect. The right. That's I was alluding to that before, too. If you have to set that base layer, you have to make sure it's neutralized. And again, that's not just white balance, that's exposure too. You want to bring something up to the certain, whatever you're trying to focus on. So let's say if you're filming a person, you want to make sure that their face is exposed correctly. Because if it's too dark, even if you put the LUT on, it's actually going to make it look worse. Mm -hmm. So you want to bring the most important part of your footage to the right exposure level and then apply the LUT if you're going to end up uh, using the LUT. But yeah, color balancing, things like that. Absolutely. I went through your original course, which helped a lot, and it helped me while making this course because the course is not you're going to be a color correction and color grading pro. It's to get you past all the words, the terminology, and simple explanation and allows people making videos to A, learn about this, learn the tools, more importantly, set your camera. And one of the things, and I've been told this a million times, and you covered this in your course, if you're going to expose for anything and you have a subject expose, for the person and forget about the other stuff because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll be very sad. I've seen that too. A lot of people want to save the sky. I mean, if you can with certain log footage like S-Log or whatever, like if, when you're shooting, if you can do it perfectly fine. But if you're outside and you have to expose for the face and the sky ends up blowing out, just let it blow out because it doesn't matter. What will end up happening is if you underexpose a person, then they'll be in, the, um, then you'll have to bring up the exposure. And then upon doing so, you just introduce noise and things like that. So the most important part, if you can get it right in camera, that's the primary thing. Here's an interesting one from Jake Sloan. What are some of the better consumer monitors available that have good, accurate color reproduction? I think BenQ are expensive, but they're really good. Yeah, I was going to suggest BenQ. There are a couple Dell monitors out there. I lean more towards, I actually have two BenQ monitors. They're really good. So as far as consumers concerned, I would definitely recommend it. They do have some lower priced ones. You may lose some of the, well, it depends if you want a hundred percent, but I'm not doing cinema and then things like that. I'm just doing stuff for YouTube and, you know, I used to do weddings and things like that. So I don't need anything more than that. To answer the question, um, yes, BenQ, highly recommend BenQ. To be honest, if you're not doing weddings or short films or commercials or stuff like that for YouTube, this is my opinion. You really don't need to dive into which lot am I using and color correcting and shooting in log and shooting in raw and spending hours and hours and hours color correcting your tube video. If it's close and it looks good, you're done. Yeah, I agree. You don't have to necessarily deep dive or anything like that. If exactly what you said, I 100% agree with that. Cool. Ian Craig, I find color correction for theatrical work can be dodgy. If you rely just on scopes, it wrongly corrects the lighting. I've tried correcting and then using a LUT, but actually just adjusting by eye can offer give a better result with less manipulation of the bits in the end. Um, like I said, your scopes are definitely your source of truth, but you're doing this, you're grading videos for people to to watch. So even if everything's technical or looks technically right on the scopes, you have to make the executive decision yourself. Even if you put everything in place, if you look up at the the footage and it doesn't look right, you kind of have to go with what you uh what you see, which brings us back to as far as calibrating your monitor. So if that's off and, and everything else is off, you may be fooled into thinking it looks okay. Yeah, he's right. A, a lot of the times you can, you kind of want to do a balance of both. You want to check the scopes, check the footage, kind of make sure everything looks okay. Ian, I also find that some LUTs can introduce noise in 8-bit, unfortunately. It can, because it, yeah, because sometimes some of them adjust the exposure. And if it's underexposed, like we were saying before, if the face is underexposed and you apply a LUT and it kicks it up, then there comes the noise. Then you get to see all the noise. 
always. In Premiere Pro, me, me, me. What's the best <laughs> way to apply any type of correction? What I've been doing is adding an adjustment layer on top of the original clip. Is there a better way? Personally, I'll have an edit where I have this clip, this, 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 this. Maybe I want to crush the blacks, making it a bit richer. I don't go through every single clip and correct them or copy and paste it. I just run an adjustment layer over those clips. If I want to do something to the whole thing, I'll run an adjustment layer across the top. Frankly, for my videos, they're not perfect. I have dialed in my camera to what I like. I create the video. Then I run an adjustment layer over the whole damn thing where I crush the blacks a tiny bit. I add a tiny bit of sharpness and I'm done. If you wanted to emulate what you do in Premiere Pro, there is actually an adjustment layer in DaVinci Resolve. I don't do that because they do have what's called a timeline option. So if you wanted to apply something to the whole timeline, you can just add a node in there. It just It's essentially the same thought as a layer. It functions differently, but if you want to make a side-by-side -side comparison. I don't use adjustment layers in DaVinci Resolve, but right, DaVinci Resolve uses nodes as opposed to Premiere Pro and layers. Which I hear you're going to make a video about really simple so people in DaVinci can understand it, which is basically me. <laughs> Right. After you uh, harassed me and threatened me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Jim Robinson, I was wondering what sort of LUT and effect I want to get for filming my mother-in-law's funeral soon. Oh, man. Dude, that is just freaking wrong. There That's is nothing awesome. right about that. No. Good. Though. What color setting? Hey, Wilderness is good to put out on YouTube. Yeah, it depends on what you mean. Not particular setting, yeah. I don't know specifically. I don't think it matters. Mm. Unless you're creating short films or commercial for a client or something. I've done some wacky stuff on my channel as a test that people didn't know about. Like I have videos on there where I went through and I ran an adjustment layer over it and made it yellow. Like, <laughs> ooh, who peed all over this video? <laughs> What no is wrong? one said anything. Mm. I was like, wow. Hey, Dave, <laughs> did you make that node video yet? <laughs> hey, mm -hmm. let me just say this. And maybe Dave can back me up or we can have a fight. If you use Premiere Pro, mm -hmm. use Premiere Pro. If you use DaVinci, use DaVinci. Use what you have. And this, well, the color creating and nodes are better and over here. You should leave what you're used to using and come over to what I think you can use and vice versa and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Just make the freaking videos and quit spending all your time, unless you're into that, and spending all your time bouncing between software. Because a year from now, you're going to bounce to something else. That's my opinion. And especially depending on what you're doing. I mean, I have, I like DaVinci Resolve, but there's a reason I like it. I, it I'm comfortable with the software. It does what I want it to. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. If, if you, if anyone was to ask for a suggestion, it really wouldn't matter. And if you're making YouTube videos, you can still make them in either piece of software. So big picture, doesn't matter. I agree. Luca, opinions, tips for creating a signature or memorable grade style and any shortcomings in general to avoid, which might be headache or eyesore inducing when grading? You can answer that because I'm not even sure I understand the question. The uh, Well, especially the second part, just stepping away from the monitor, not only to reduce eyesore and things like that, but, and I've noticed this, I've heard this a while back and I noticed this myself. If I make a grade, I think it looks great. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to export. I walk away. Maybe I want to grab something to drink or whatever. I come
come back. It's funny how your eyes do adjust. In reference to the second part of that question, just walking away, just walking away for a little while. Don't try to knock everything out in one sitting is essentially what I'm saying. Walk away, come back. If it still looks good, fantastic. Then you're all set. Opinions for creating a signature memorable grade? Uh, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a person uh, personal choice, really, to be honest. Man, I sat there for six hours, color grading and correcting and doing a video and it looked great and i walked away i came away the next morning i was appalled it was awful i had sparkly sharpness around me i had the colors were all off to piggyback off what you just said that's when i years ago that's when i noticed that there was a problem as, as sharpening i had sharpened something i thought it looked good i'm like oh this is great like you said walked away came back and i was like oh yeah <laughs> stepping away from it and looking at it again you can really see how far you've gone and that's when the biggest tip i can give for color grading is be subtle it's just you think you're not doing a lot but you are and the more you do the worse it is so if there's any one tip i can leave you with just be subtle because it is doing more than you think it is turn off the node or the adjustment later look at it for 10 or 20 seconds turn it back on and see what you did it's kind of the same as walking away and you go oh yeah i'm correcting this you turn it back on and you're like ah! yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, to be fair, sometimes you might be not be doing a lot, but again, you might be pushing the sliders too far and not even realize it. Yep. Answer two more questions and then we get a blow because I'm at an hour and three minutes and I promise okay. to keep these to an hour. I've been practicing. I have six monitors. Wow. Different brands and they all look different. How do you really know what your colors are versus what random TV monitors look like? I think we covered that with the calibration tool. Yep. Calibration tool. And as long as yours is calibrated, don't worry about everybody else. You're not going to be, obviously, you're not going to be able to go to everybody's house and make the adjustments. So unfortunately, it is what it is as far as those go. Last question. Then we got to blow. Let people get back to their day. Jim Robinson. Hey, Jim. Stare at a slightly yet yellow tinted white square for a few seconds and your brain will white balance and you will see why absolutely the middle gray background and resolve when in highlight is to help with that. What's he talking about? You can, if you select something, let's say I wanted to select the colors on my face, there's a highlight mode. And what it will do is change the rest of everything, like the background in this case, and just highlight my face. Yeah, he's right about those things. Yeah, Jim's a Jim's a pretty smart guy. But yeah, that's essentially what he's referring to. That's the other problem you might run into is there's, if there's a lot of color bouncing off the walls, that may kind of mess up your vision too. So We're out of time. I appreciate you all coming, you know. uh, coming on, asking your questions. You, you can go check out Dave. I think I put the link somewhere. And uh, go have. check out his channel, learn about DaVinci, learn about color correction, learn about really good reviews. Really good. Also, I just dropped a link in here. If you want to learn more about color correction and color grading, go check out the course. I'm going to be wrapping it up this coming next week. Mr. Andre, thank you so much for joining us today, answering all our questions. I really yep. appreciate it. Next week, we're going to have that guy, drone expert, six days next Saturday, Alaska guy. He's going to answer all your questions about drones and mine. I flew on mine 10 times and I hit a tree six times. And hopefully he'll have his course done by then. And uh, <laughs> no, no pressure or anything. I could go through it. Anyway, I really appreciate y'all joining us. Dave, thank you, sir. Yep, thank you guys, everyone in the chat for your questions and everything else. So should I end the broadcast? Just end it. Or should I do that? silly music video where i'm rocking out being thing. a musician i think you should do the rocking out uh, that's my vote we'll do the rock out video thank you dave we'll see y'all next week